Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Uncensored CMO. Now, this is a special edition live from Madfest. Ladies and gentlemen, not just one, but two bumper episodes all merged together. Firstly, I am talking to four very high profile retail CMOs who are sat together on the couch. They compete with each other day to day, but they're here to talk about what it's like to ride the storm as retailers and how do you operate successfully as a marketer in these very challenging times. I've got the CMO from Very, from Boots, from Audi and from Morrisons all talking about the challenges they face. It's a really, really exciting conversation and they're going to get tons out of it. And for a bonus bit as well, we're wandering around Madfest trying to catch up with a few people finding out what's going on as well. So I managed to catch up with the Heineken CMO as well to find out what they're doing at the moment and also an exclusive for you from JC Deco and Specsavers and System One who are launching some brand new research live from Madfest stage. So there's a lot in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. I certainly had loads of fun making it. We're going to do something quite special in the next 20 minutes. We're going to record an episode of the Uncensored CMO live here, and you are the audience, and you're going to be participating. Does that sound good? Now, I've got four very experienced, very talented CMOs to introduce and have a conversation with about how to market in difficult times. And I'd like to introduce them, and I'd like you to give an enormous Madfest hash Uncensored CMO welcome. I'm going to introduce them one by one. Um, First, and let's see who gets the loudest cheer, because they're a little bit competitive. Uh, we've got Jessica Myers from Very, everybody. <laughs> you, you, you've brought your crew, haven't you? I can tell, right? How much of the audience did you bring? Oh, nobody. It's <laughs> just a natural shout. Exactly. Okay, second, we have... Uh, a man who currently is unemployed, but used to be the marketing director of Audi, Adam Zavalis, everybody. I've been, I've been told, by the way, not to mention where he's going for his next job. We won't talk about that, I promise. All right, number three, uh, our CMO, Alex Rogerson, all the way from Morrison's, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome, Alex. Now, last but not least, uh, he's been on a stage before, or a few, the wonderful Pete Markey from Boots, ladies and gentlemen. Now, it's fair to say... It's been a... Oh, by the way, just a, a quick thing to say. Do me a quick favour. In the next 17 minutes, just head over to wherever you subscribe to podcast. Uncensor CMO. Give it a subscribe, if you will. Thank you very much. Uh, plug over. Right. Uh, it's been a challenging time for marketers in the last few years. I think, you know, unprecedented times and all that sort of thing. Jess, let's start with you. You've recently joined a rather large online retailer a few months ago, haven't you? I have. That, that must be quite challenging. I mean, talk about picking your moment. I, well, I think there are serendipitous moments that come together. So before I was at Very, I've been at Very for nine months. My entire career has been in financial services. So I have worked for large retail banks, challenger retail banks, so really always in marketing roles. And a wonderful opportunity came up to join Very. And if you were here earlier, you would have spoke, hear me speak about how Very is a multi-category integrated retailer. So we offer retail 
department store online for our customers, but we couple it with financial services and flexible ways to pay. So I joined the organization nine months ago, and wow. it has been quite the ride. I imagine it has been. So if you've got one tip for people in terms of succeeding in an online retailer in a senior marketing role, what would your tip be? I think the tips are probably the same, no matter which marketing role you're sitting in. You know, the power comes from having that deep customer obsession and being the customer ambassador and coupling that with deep commercial acumen. Marketing is the sweet spot, isn't it, between art and science and marketers' roles around de delivering accelerated business growth for the business. So whether you're an online reta retailer, a, hybrid, um, a high street retailer or a hybrid, our jobs are all the same. We just use different tactics and different channels. Now, um High Street, it's not exactly been a, a garden of roses, has it, uh, the last few years? I mean, surely everyone knows the High Street is dead. Pete? Thanks, John, for that not remotely loaded question. Um, <laughs> the High Street, I think, that it's definitely still got a really big role to play. And uh, so I look after marketing for Boots, um, 175 years old next year. And what we've seen post-pandemic is lots of people coming back in stores again. But for slightly different reasons. So people still come in and get their regular shop, but it's a lot more about the experience in store. So I'll give you just one example, um, major plug for number seven. We do something called ProDerm Scan in store. It's free. You wander in, it's a plug onto an iPhone. Our beauty specialists use it, and we'll give you four different areas to improve in your skin regime. I apparently have amazing pores, just so I tell you that. Four out of five on pores, as you can tell. Um, but you walk away with a whole regime, it's free to do. That's an experience you can't do anywhere else. And then you walk away with a regime that's unique to you. And we do that with a number of other suppliers too. We also do specific events that are only available sometimes in store for Boots Advantage card. So I, I think stores definitely have a role to play. And you can probably all identify with that. You're at a weekend or on holiday, you go, what am I going to do? We'll go to the shops, go to a shopping centre, we'll go somewhere. It's become more of an event and a moment again. But I think as retailers, you have to give people a reason to go. It's not you've got to expect them that you have to create moments, create events, create opportunities, and know what matters in your customers' lives. So the final example I'll give, um, there's no one here that looks remotely over 40, but if you were, you could wander into a boot store and get a free health MOT today, blood pressure check, body mass index check, completely free of charge. You walk away with your results, you do stuff with it. Again, another reason to come out and do stuff in store. Um, so if you forget everything else from here, get a free health check and get your skin scanned, it's all good. But reasons to come in so you need to create those moments. I love the plug for boots there, that's amazing. <laughs> now, we have sat side by side, ladies and gentlemen, two fierce competitors, although it's fair to say, Adam, you don't currently work for Audi, do you? I don't. But, but we have the former marketing director for Audi and we have the head of marketing as well for Morrisons. Now, now grocery is a very, very competitive industry, isn't it? You're watching each other literally day by day competing. Yeah. Um, maybe start with you, Adam. Um, what were the biggest challenges when you were working at Audi and how did you overcome them? I think uh, one of the biggest challenges, you know, way back when I first started there was convincing people of the quality. So everyone knew we were cheap but there are people associated cheap with just poor quality. So how did we convince people of that? So everything we did over the years from 
like brands campaign, showing people these brands that people thought, are they imported? Are they made up? What are they? That actually, they were just as good a quality as some of the brands that people knew and loved, but obviously significantly cheaper. Swap and save, real families really seeing that they could save money and have a fantastic lifestyle. Very relevant today in the cost of living crisis. Showing people that are a great supporter of Britain, even though, you know, Aldi, Albrecht Discount, which was, you know, a German company, uh, actually is a great supporter of Britain. So sponsoring Team GB. So all of these things started to layer up and, you know, we can talk about Christmas, but all of these things started to layer up to convince people that Aldi actually was good quality as well as being low prices. Um, so, you know, it's riders of the storm. Probably Aldi kind of created the storm um, in many ways because we were the disruptor who came in and, and shook up the market for the likes of uh, Alex and, uh, and others. <laughs> well, well, maybe we should continue there. Actually, you talked about Christmas um, and you've got, I think it's fair to say, certainly based on the System 1 database, the most successful Christmas ad of many years. I notice you decide to leave you know, just as you got right to the top of our scoring system. So well done. Yeah. It'd, be hard, it'd be hard to, uh, you know, leave, <laughs> leave on a high, as it were. Um, what was the logic with that campaign? Because, you know, as far as I understand, you decided to do a John Lewis, right? Which seems a bit of an insane move to do. You're a discount retailer, and you want to make the best Christmas ad of all time. I mean, where's the logic in that? Uh, it, it's back to, you know, how do you convince people that anything that you might perceive to be a weakness of the brand is actually, actually we're pretty good at that as well. And you looked at John Lewis, who were the bellwether of communications from, what, 2010, 2011 onwards. Uh, how could we do our thing? But do it in an Aldi way. They were selling 70 pounds uh, Monty the Penguins, I think, in 2014. And you know, that wouldn't be right for us. So... The guys at McCann came up with Kevin the Carrot, you know, a seven pence carrot, you know, became the hero of our campaign. Um, But he also worked at both a a brand level and a tactical level as well. Uh, And the beauty of Kevin has been that he's been able to evolve through the years. So he's told all sorts of different stories. You know, typically with Aldi, parodying um, lots of famous films and, you know, going into all sorts of scrapes. But it it gives longevity uh, to the campaign, which is, I think, and people resonate because it goes back to those heartwarming, nostalgic things that we all look for at Christmas. Well, just quickly before we bring Alex in, I'd love to find out how Morrison's cope with this. As marketers, we love to talk about advertising, right? But tell me, how did it actually deliver results? Can you prove that advertising made a difference to the market share of Aldi? Yeah, look, you know, Aldi's, Aldi's growth is, you know, well documented, but internally we're able to do two things, actually. One was that we were developing campaigns, working with System yeah. One, being able to look at what do customers think of the campaign as we developed it. But also importantly, internally, getting the CEO and, and the rest of the board to buy into the objectivity of what customers are saying, not what we think, what customers are saying. Uh, and then the results themselves, you know, Aldi had their best ever Christmases off the back of Kevin. Hence, it became a very easy decision to get into its seventh and who knows what they'll do this year now. Who knows? Without you, it'd be interesting to see. Um, <laughs> I must ask you, Alex, obviously you're sat next to a former competitor. Uh, it must be a really interesting situation you find yourself in. But you've, um, you've brought back a campaign for Morrisons. What was the thinking behind that? Absolutely. Look, it was, um, it was a, a pure marketing science decision. So obviously, you know, more reasons to shop at Morrisons is a, a well-known brand line. Um, and every time I'd be out in our shops, our customers would say, when are you bringing it back? Or our, our colleagues would. But we, we did a distinctive brand asset audit with Mountain View. Um, and through that piece of work, it was really clear that 
when we tested all the brand lines in the marketplace, more reasons to shop still resonated, still had one of the highest amounts of equity in the category. It hasn't been used for nearly 20 years. So when we were armed with that insight, it was a no-brainer to, to bring that to the business and, and bring it back as our brand line. Now, we must talk a little bit about cost of living crisis and, and pricing and things like that. And I, I'd just like to say, Jess, I was on the uh, website earlier. <laughs> Quick tip, by the way, if you're of my age, pair of Levi 501s, less than £40. It cost more when I was 18. Right? It's amazing. But how have you approached the cost of living crisis as an online retailer? In, in, in a variety of ways. So, you know, cost of living crisis is a real challenge for all consumers. We're seeing it, especially with our very customer. We're hearing it a lot through our research groups about how they're dipping into their savings. The family budget is becoming tight. But, they, but the real interesting insight into our customer is that she is female. She's a household hero. She juggles the family and supports their needs. And she wants to make sure they're fully kitted out and everything the family needs. And that's why she comes to Very Right. She comes to Very because she can shop 2,000 brands over multiple categories, but she really values our flexible ways to pay. That allows her flexibility in buying now, paying later, or spreading the cost. So us, it's about understanding how, as a responsible lender, we can support her to provide for the family, but also tapping into really interesting insights. So our customer has a passion for fashion, absolutely loves the latest style. So we've really thought about how we innovate for the customer. So we've launched things like our everyday range, which is a value-based range for the customer, really great quality products. 85% of the range is about 30 pounds or less. So she can get great staples, but also how can we help support her from a fashion perspective? But again, how do you buy one outfit, style it in a variety of different ways to give her real effectiveness with that? So yeah, a couple of examples, but lots of ways to get. It's about value for us, about value and buying into the value of the brand, not about driving to the bottom from a price perspective. It's amazing to have all that data. I know, Pete, you know, from a Boots perspective, you have this incredible insight into your consumer, don't you, via the Advantage cards. So how do you use that data to make good marketing decisions? I think so the Boots Advantage card is 26 years old this year, which is incredible. It's one of the oldest loyalty cards in the UK and one of the most well-known. And... Um, What's great is our customers uh, trust us with that data because we, we know all about their health and uh, beauty regimes, really. And therefore, we can use that data to serve them with the best products, the best deals, the best offers at exactly the right moment. And that really matters. You know, uh, the team and I talk a lot about mass personalization. How do we personalize more and more of our content? When you know the brands people love, the products they love, it just makes that communication even more meaningful. We now, uh, we've just grown the Advantage card base by one and a half million additional card dollars in the last year. And that's come by overhauling that proposition. So you still get points, but you now get immediate discount at point of purchase with something called Price Advantage. So if you're in store online, you see the little pink ticket sign, you immediately get a discount with your Advantage card. So re-energizing, um, re-promoting that program has helped grow it too. And last year, we put the Advantage card on TV in our ad campaign for the first time in 25 years, the last time we were in Christmas, 1997. It's a jewel in the crown, and it's worked really well for us. And to finally answer your point, John, I think the other reason it matters is, is uh, myself and Ollie is in the audience and the team, we run something called Boots Media Group. So we're also, they very have a similar thing, we're also media owners ourselves. That data matters because the suppliers that work with us, the L'Oreal's, the Procter & Gamble's, 
the Johnson Johnsons, Unilevers want to work with us because we've got access to relationships and data that they don't have. So growing it's important because it helps our business grow, it helps our suppliers grow, and it helps our media inventory grow as well. So it's sort of this lovely, healthy circle of growth, which is why we're very focused on loyalty, very focused on building those deeper relationships and serving customers with the right message at exactly the right time. Now, you all work in very competitive environments. You know, you've got cost, cost increases coming at you. You've got consumers with less money in their pocket to spend. I mean, maybe I'll go to the grocery uh, sector here because it, 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 it gets very intense. How do you make the case when, you know, you work for retailers that are literally making decisions every day based on what, you know, your competitors are doing? How do you make the case for brand building and marketing? I mean, maybe start with you. Yeah, sure. Look, I, <clears throat> I think... We're quite fortunate at Morrison's. I think our leadership team are really aligned on on how brands grow and how mm. how to how to um, invest to grow in the brand. And so the argument's been been pretty much won at Morrison's. We've been in, we, even though every single penny rightly is scrutinised at the moment because every penny that's spare should go into price and, and serving serving customers. You know we we've grown absolute investment year on year and grown share of voice you know in that against that really tough backdrop of 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 every penny mattering because ultimately you know reminding your customers why you exist making your customers feel like you know proud of the brand that they work for uh, that, that they shop with uh, is really is more important now rather than less important so yeah. so so it's, a, it's a something that the whole leadership team is aligned on I mean, I imagine Audi must be pretty challenging, right? So discount retailer, famous for kind of low margin, low price. You know, German's not famous for spending a lot of money on advertising when they could put it in store, right? So how, how did you convince the business to get behind, you know, so what might be seen as yeah. very expensive, high production, you know, glamorous, you know, you're not talking about the pricing, Kevin adds, are you? Yeah, I think as, as Alex says, I mean, there's a lot of evidence out there. So using that evidence, bringing that evidence into the boardroom and proving it works, doing tests to demonstrate that actually it gets a return for our business as well. But what I was saying earlier around some of the gaps in what Aldi had to overcome, that required a lot of brand communication. And of course, fortunately for Aldi as a brand, price is part of their DNA. Price is part of the brand. So when you think about campaigns like Light Brand, Swap and Save, even Kevin at Christmas, you can have a wonderful Christmas at a very low price. Price is part of that conversation. So it's almost, there's a bit of a blurring almost. It's not maybe that traditional that you see in other sectors of brand plus performance. A lot of it is doing kind of both jobs, even though we know distinctly in comms, we're separating those messages out. Um, So it became a kind of easy job in the end because we proved it over time. And the leadership team, very similar to what Alex was saying, the leadership team saw that and therefore bought into it and invested in because they could see the growth that was coming on the bottom line, which was, you know, at the end of the day, why we're here. Yeah. Um, Let me put maybe a a little bit more challenging question to you. So you've all reached very senior positions, you know, in your respective industries and and in your career. If you were a a younger marketer and you wanted to achieve the kind of career success you've had, what would be your top tip? I'll start with Pete. We'll work this way around. Okay. Okay. I've got all the easy questions today, haven't I? I think... um, I think the top tip is just be incredibly curious about the business you're in. The best marketers I've seen succeed go into business and just reach out, build a really strong network, connect with other parts of the business, understand how the business makes money and have influence in other, whether it's getting involved in things like diversity, equity and inclusion 
or um, I'll give you a random example, actually. So early on in my career, I got to dress up as a goldfish. So I worked for a, a brand called British Gas. We launched a goldfish credit card, and I got asked to dress as a goldfish with orange tights on, run through a conference giving out leaflets, and high-five in the executive. Now, sounds stupid, but that got me noticed. And so I think find those things that make you stand out, distinctive, different, get involved with them, and just show that passion and curiosity for the business you're in. You never know where that will take you, and get as broad an experience as you can, as early as you can. Amazing. Right, go on, Alex, top that. Yeah, look, <laughs> I, I definitely haven't dressed as a goldfish. Not I don't yet. know how I can yet. top that. <laughs> I have to try that one on Monday. Um, look, I, my advice would be, and this is specifically in retail, but I guess it applies to lots of businesses, which would be really spend the time understanding the economics of the business that you're in, because otherwise marketers can feel a little bit disconnected from the reality of the business. And I think if you spend that time to understand how the business works, how it makes money, and, and then how you can then add value to that and build and grow, then you'll be much more respected you know, when you come to have those tricky conversations. So it's getting harder and harder, isn't it, as it comes yeah. down here? Because I think those are two brilliant ones. And I guess slightly different then. Uh, early in my career, I was moving from, I mean, I was agency side, actually, from TBWA to McCann Group, and I was thinking, what should I do, what should I do? And I spoke to one of the directors, and he said, look, Adam, whatever decision you make, it's the right decision. I'm trying to work it. What's he telling me? Should I stay, go? He said, look, I'm not telling you, but when you make that decision, go for it, you know, and don't look back. And even if it turns out to be the wrong decision, you'll learn something in those six months that will take you on to the next role. So I think whatever decisions you take, whether it's career, whether it's decisions on campaigns or strategy, just, you know, commit to it and go for it. And don't think, well, should I have done that other thing? And I guess that's a life lesson that I've taken with me, you know, even, even now, quite recently, about what I'm going to do next. Uh, so, uh, yeah. All I can say is you must have the most manicured garden known to man. <laughs> I mean, how long is your gardening leave? Yeah, well, it's been a while. It's been a while. So, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I've been getting the scissors out and cutting it. But I'm very excited about my new role. Which, which you can't talk about. Yes. I'm going to keep in my back pocket. This now. time next year, maybe. Yeah. You might have arrived. Uh, Jess. Right, I've had time to think. <clears throat> Three things sprung to mind. So you talked about commercial. So the commercial yeah. acumen is incredibly important. A marketer cannot rock up to the boardroom and not understand how the business makes money. If you're presenting a campaign, you don't know what it's going to deliver you're dead in the water. Point number two, collaboration. The most important relationship I have with, this, with the CFO, see back to point one, but when you're doing marketing activity, you need to bring the organization across with you. Get far and wide, bring people on the journey with you. And the third one's be a change maker. That's my third C, change maker. How do you show resiliency? How do you balance the art and the science? How do you disrupt and innovate, learn, test, grow, and, and keep going? So commercial, collaboration, You've done this change before, maker. You? No, I haven't actually, but I'm going to use it again. You heard it here first. That's amazing. Well, we'll start there, ladies and gentlemen. So top advice, uh, be commercial, collaborate and create change. Uh, get on with it and dress like a goldfish. There you go. That's the top advice. Uh, fat, unfortunately, we've run out of time, ladies and gentlemen, but I'd just like to give a huge round of applause for our four very willing CMOs. Thank you. Thank you.
I hope you enjoyed there my conversation with some of the UK's most high-profile CMOs in retail. Now, for something a little bit different, uh, I went around Madfest backstage to talk to a few people and find out what's been going on and what breaking news have we got from Madfest. So a couple of really interesting conversations here. Firstly, with the CMO of Heineken, and then we've got JC Deco, Specsavers, and System One collaborating to break some new research on how to make the perfect poster. Here it is. I'm joined here by Michael Gillane, the CMO of Heineken UK. Michael, welcome. Thank you. So what's your impressions of Madfest so far? Absolutely crazy. I mean, uh, I arrived and they were queuing literally right down the road. So I was uh, fearing I wouldn't get in for my own speaking um, engagement. They let you in finally. Uh, Well, thankfully, there's a a celebrity (laughs) entrance uh, around the side. But uh, yeah, really busy, great home. Hard to believe it's only four or five years going now. It feels like an institution. It's amazing, isn't it? And there's a real buzz here, isn't there? And, and it's great to see a marketing event with such high energy, such good lineup of speakers, and so much interesting topics, you know, to cover. Um, you work in beer, obviously, and, and I believe one in four and beers. Cider, and, and cider. And cider. Don't forget the cider. Um, what are the challenges you faced over the last few years? Because it's been a pretty rocky road, I suspect, hasn't it, for someone in your position? Yeah, it's been heavy going, I guess, from a from an industry point of view. You know, we've had COVID and, of course, a lot of industries have been adversely affected. But when it knocks out the hospitality sector or the out-of-home, which is where 75% of the value in our categories, you know, in terms of retail sales is in the on-trade, when that goes dark, you feel it. Um, And then, of course, as we emerge from that and we dust ourselves down, we get hit by a tsunami of inflation. And this is, is, um, it's a an energy intensive business and a labor intensive business it's a heavy industry so really we've you know we get, we get knocked down we get back up again we get knocked <laughs> yes. down but i'm glad to say 3 years down the line we're faring pretty well so as a senior marketer you know in the beer business what's the secret to uh, riding the storm of the last few years what would you, what would your top tips be yeah i i think if you're going to ride the storm from a marketing point of view you, you want to make sure that you're part of a, a team and ideally a company uh, and, and, and that this is endorsed at senior management where, where brands are valued, uh, that the value, that, you know, the, the basics on brand building and the value that brands bring to the table is understood and not debated. Um, I'm lucky enough to be in that position here in the UK. We have a very strong uh, buy-in across our management team, in particular within finance, as to what the brands can bring. And, and especially even more so at a global level, and this is important, where... You know, we've undergone something of a transformation in our leadership team in the last four or five years. And we have many of our senior executive board members are now coming from a straight line marketing background. Really? That's so, unusual. So that is in a company that had been historically more sales oriented. Um, and that's really cascading and trickling down in terms of our culture. And it really gives us a strong sort of support when it comes to tough time marketing in yeah. tough times. Yeah. So how do you make the case for marketing investment? Because a lot, a lot of people out there will have had their budgets cut, you know, a lot of uncertainty about the future. So how do you make the case for brand building marketing? Well, I mean, for me, it comes down to establishing a, a, a common language in particular with finance. And, you know, you need to have the tools and the methodologies and the frameworks that can get you know, you need to apply a data science approach. And I know this is a cliche, but talking about marketing as a, a, a on an ROI basis as an investment rather than a cost center. And yeah. there's a lot that goes into that. But we've established a culture of 
of measurement and evaluation, which is incredibly rigorous. And we've done that with a data science team, which is situated at the heart of finance. So we have the marketing data science team is sitting in the heart of finance. So we've got a kind of a fox in the coop, if you want. Oh, nice. And that does help from um, a rigor and an alignment point of view. Oh. So it's not something, These some of these aspects are cultural, some of them are structural and capability. It's not an overnight thing, um, but you've got to start somewhere. And thankfully, we're not all the way down the road, but we're pretty well advanced. Now, I think I saw a headline in Marketing Week, maybe even this morning, saying that, that price is the least important P or least important feature in most marketers. Um, there you go. A round of applause for your last comment there. It's <laughs> um, the least important uh, lever in the marketing, I guess, in the marketing toolkit. We've just been through a massive cost of living crisis, lots of inflation. Presumably, pricing is a lot more important than maybe it's giving it credit for, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, whoever said that is talking nonsense as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you might want to take it up a level and we talk about value, but mm. price will always be part of value. Yes, we can take pricing if we're offsetting that with value in other areas of our product, our presentation, the experience of the brand. But but price will always be a factor. It may be higher on the decision tree in some categories. It may be lower. But even if it's lower on the decision tree, if it's the clincher at the supermarket in Tesco, when a, a case of Foster's is, is four quid more expensive than a case of Carling, then, then you'll feel it in your, your, on your, your, your share pretty quickly. And I think the thing that people forget is that obviously, um, you know, brand building allows you to command a premium. Uh, increasing your margin allows you to spend more money on marketing. So it's a virtuous circle. I think sometimes people forget that. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, that's the model we've adopted in Heineken as we have looked at adapting to the inflationary environment and we've looked at where and when we need to take pricing and yeah. we do need and have taken pricing not enough to offset all of our costs but where we take pricing we have to then also make sure that we are increasing our marketing investment as a proportion of that that pricing in order to to generate and sustain the value for consumers so the key for us is that we maintain our our marketing investment as a percentage of the revenue so if the price goes up a proportion of that also needs to go for marketing. There's no such thing as a, a free ride in that sense in the long yeah. term in brand building. Got it. Now, last week we had uh, Tom Rainsford on the on the uh, podcast. Of course, you know him very, very well. Uh, he runs Beaver Town. What, uh, what do you wish you could do if you were Beaver Town? And what does he wish he could do if he was you? <laughs> oh, look, Beaver Town is just a magic, magic brand and a magic business. Um, it's, you know, I, 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 I spent a lot of time envying the brand from afar uh, before we ever got involved as a company with, with Beaver Town. The visual identity, the creativity is really, truly organically at the heart of that brand. And you can feel the founder's influence in it. So I envy Tom that and I envy the creative capability that he has in-house. Yeah. I have great capability, creative capability in my agency network, and I, I love what they do. But I guess, God, it would be love to have it. I'd love to have it on tap next to me. There's lots of reasons why we wouldn't be able to do that in, in Heineken Central. So the agencies don't need to worry. We're not in housing creative on my side. But, but when I look at having that, that, that creativity on tap in-house, it does make me somewhat jealous. I can imagine. Uh, as regards, I don't know what Tom would envy. I think Tom is very happy riding the he, he crest happy. of the wave on Beaver Town. <laughs> so I don't think he envies me one it, bit. It doesn't sound like he does. Um, so for anyone that wasn't able to make your presentation, what's the biggest takeout from your presentation this morning? Uh, the, the the key message was, you know, when you're marketing in, in difficult circumstances, the, the, the key takeout is don't blink. Don't blink. 
stick to the strategic guns, don't waver too much strategically, and make sure that you retain the faith in what got you to the position where you're entering tough times, and don't change the formula so that you come out of it in worse shape and less able to take advantage of the upside. I love that. Don't blink in tough times. That's a great place to end. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you. Good to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome here to the Unsent Simo Live coming from Madfest. Now, I've got some breaking news for listeners out there and, and viewers, I should say. Now, I'm joined by Andrew from System One, Chris from JC Deco, and Sonia from Specsavers. And they're going to be telling me a little bit about some research that is breaking at Madfest. So maybe I'll start with Andrew. What's it all about? Well, um, we've been partnering with JC Deco because people have really got used to testing their creative in TV, but it's not really hit out of home yet. So we've been focusing on creating a new way of testing um, out of home for creative effectiveness. And out of home changes in uh, two main ways, really. JC Deco really believe that the context is how part of how it works, but also the attention is different as well. Out of home really only gets around two seconds of attention on average. So we've created this tool that not only tests creative in context rapidly, like our system one testing always does. It also checks fluency after two seconds. As a golden rule, if you don't land that fluency really quickly, then you've got really not much hope to do anything. So it's a new kind of tool that's the industry's not really seen before. Now everyone loves out of home, don't they, Chris? And we're all we're all very, very big fans. But so many people seem to put their print ad out of home and expect people to read you know, loads of lines of copy. So what are the golden rules and what makes an effective out-of-home ad? Well, that's absolutely true. People do generally need to take a print ad. So what we have learned uh, through the research is using attention data, um, we've taken the two seconds of attention and been able to apply some rules. So first of all, three sections is what you need. No more than three sections because you haven't got the time to read anything more. We've also been under understand the size of things. So if you've got a product, make sure it's 50% of your poster. If you've got a call to action, if you double the size of it, you'll double the amount of dwell time. So these are all learnings that, that we've taken from the research. But I think what's really important is we're not telling people exactly what to do. We're giving them guidance because every single brand campaign is different. So that means every single ad should be different. So what we really want people to take from this research is think about what you're doing in out of home. Think about how it's going to be consumed um, and ensure that it's going to reach a lot of people. Now, I think it's fair to say one of the masters of out-of-home advertising and one of my very, very favorite out-of-home campaigns, it should have gone Specsavers. So I'm very pleased we've got Sonia here. So, Sonia, from a brand owner's point of view, what are you doing to put these learnings into action? Yeah, I mean, we're in a really early stages uh, in our findings at the moment. And our ambition really is to create a toolkit of what is best practice for out of home. In the same way, we've got robust measurements in place for, for TV and digital channels. We want to do the same thing for out of home. Um, so really early days, but we do already have some really exciting findings. So uh, as Nick was saying, we've looked at logo size, CTA size. Um, so we quite often have debates with our in-house creative agency who are phenomenal. But um, um, how big the CTA should be. Um, we want to ensure the creative integrity of the, the concept, but also we want to land that core action message. So we already know increasing the CTA, not dramatically, but will really increase that intention that we want from our audience. Um, beyond that as well, we know logo placement, like, like a lot of brands, we have templated ads and we have our logo in the bottom right-hand corner and we do that across a lot of channels. However, our learnings so far have indicated if we move that logo up to the top, uh, we'll get greater attention 
attention, but will also ensure a consistent flow of attention down through the ad. So it increases the overall intention of, of the campaign. Now, as can well. you settle a question for marketing Twitter? Mm. Because everyone seems to lose their shit over a, a Specsavers ad. When you move the logo from the left to the middle, <laughs> or it's big or it's small, yeah. where should the logo be and how big should it be? Well, I mean, that is, that is a debate. And what we've found in this research is is moving it up moving it higher will work better on out of home as i say this is an initial research so we're going to interrogate it and, and try it out i think the key thing for us is testing and learning and that's what we do in all our all our channels so just being open to testing trying different creative and, and that's how you amplify it ultimately now imagine lots of advertisers out there are thinking should have done an ad like spec savers so maybe i'll go back to chris if they're thinking that how can they test their ads to make sure it's delivering the kind of principles that you're talking about well, there's three ways. Um, so our new research looks at AI, uh, looks at attention with, with Lumen, and then also the new um, test your ad out of home with System 1. So our advice would be to do all three. And the reason for that is because they all deliver different aspects um, and, and learnings. So first of all, a computer learning telling you color and contrast. What are people likely to look at? You then bring human beings into it, um, and then you understand where they're going to look at. So for that reason... People are emotionally attached to um, famous people, for example. So they might be more likely to look at them. And then thirdly, with System 1, you get you get emotion. So how do people feel about the ad? So, so our advice is do all three. And that's what we want more people to do. Because ultimately, if people test their ads before they go live, they'll work better. And if they work better, their campaign will work better. Amazing. Now, Andrew, everyone knows pre-testing is slow. It's expensive. It's not very useful. What would you say to that? Um, not system one pre-testing here, John. Good answer, so, Andrew. Um, well done. Which is what's great about this tool because we actually worked out a way to test in context and the testing turns around in 24 hours. We've all been in that sticky creative process where, to be honest, you've shot something, you need to wake up the next day and you need to get to work on it and you need the insights overnight. That's what's so great about this tool. And what's also great about what we've seen with the research because we've, we've tested 50 ads as part of this research is that we can see Orlando Woods' learnings from Lemon and Lookout and the left and right brain. Those features are starting to show that they're more effective as well in out of home. The first pass to post, before you even get onto left and right brain, is that amazingly, we found 55% of consumers leave out of home and have no idea what the brand is for. Like, that is crazy. That is the first thing the industry needs to fix. Then we can start worrying about the right brain features. Can we get our fluent devices in? Can we land brand and emotion and story? Can we get some implicit communication, um, real characters or even recognizable places or cultural references? Then we start not only landing brand, but landing the long and the short term and effectiveness as well. And, um, and then once you've done that, test it to see if it's actually working and see your star and your spike rating. Those metrics that you're so familiar with for TV, but now for out of home. So I think you've covered the entire world of marketing science in about 44 seconds there, <laughs> Andrew. Well done. Thank um, you. <laughs> but, but just to explain for anyone that didn't follow entirely, what is a right brain bit of creative and how can you do that in out of home? Because out of home is limited in terms of its options, presumably. Completely. I mean, that's what this entire research is about. So our right hemisphere is our, holds our broad, vigilant attention on the world is rooted in emotion and it's key for advertising that is going to grow a brand because right brain advertising doesn't just hold interest for people interested in the products already it naturally attracts attention from everybody but we haven't got a 30 second tv had here we have to do it 
in either static or semi-static kind of moving out digital out of home. So the key things you can really do is show actual characters showing emotion with agency. Try and show a recognizable place. Don't just shoot in a studio. Somewhere you'll recognize and be naturally drawn to. And implicit communication. We can't have dialogue in out of home. So how are you going to show touch between characters, relationships between characters? And how are you going to show that connection? And then also, finally, as Orlando is starting to talk about, and he's put me up to this, um, how are you going to force in uh, Moto Eazione? Moto Eazione. That, that pivotal bit where the emotion comes to life and you get some insight in a character that draws attention and emotion out of viewers. So for anyone who doesn't know, movement and passion, people. Movement and passion. Yeah, That's completely. what you want. Like an Italian opera. Let's end with Specsavers because... One of the things I think Specsavers does incredibly well is have a brand idea that can live everywhere. And it makes out of home so much more effective when you're doing, you've got an idea that can work in many places. Is that, is that the case? Um, well, yes, like that is our ambition when we, when we do our campaigns is how, how can we make it live across all our channels and how, because ultimately our consumers aren't consuming or based on one channel. They're the all different ways. So yes, that, that is a challenge for us. And it's something we strive to do with every campaign is how can it work on different channels and, and reach all, all that wealth of audience. Sonia, amazing. Thank you. Chris, thank you too. Andrew from System One, thank you. And if you'd like to get a copy of the research, it'll be available where? In the next few weeks via Jesse DeCoe and System One. There we go. Coming yeah. to you soon. Thank you for listening and watching. Thank you for joining me in that special edition, uh, Madfest edition of the Uncensored CMO. I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed making it. If you'd like to never miss an episode again, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you'd like to see the video version as well, head on over to YouTube, hit subscribe there. I'm available on Twitter at Uncensored CMO or find me on LinkedIn where I am John Evans. Thank you for listening and watching. See you next time.